0: The following production was originally produced by Cath 910 AM, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Just to remind our, our listeners what we're doing here. So we're we're finding ways to share in the intellectual and moral formation that's at at the heart of what we do at the University of Dallas. And Every month we've been looking at one of the virtues. We looked at the four cardinal virtues, and this is the third of the theological virtues that we're discussing today, the virtue of charity, which is the the supreme virtue, the efficient cause of all the virtues, as St. Thomas Aquinas calls it. In question 23 of the Secundus Secundae, um, our guest today is indeed a, a special guest. Indeed, his name is Father Thomas Esposito. He's an assistant professor of theology at the University of Dallas, and he's also a member of Our Lady of Dallas Cistercian Community or Monastery, just across the street from the University of Dallas. So, Father Thomas, welcome to the to the program. Thank you very much, JJ. So, um, Father Thomas, you, you have an expertise in Scripture. You're a theologian, but your, your main expertise is Scripture. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into being a, a theologian? What does it mean to be a, the, a theologian? What does it mean to be a Scripture specialist as a theologian? Some of us might be thinking, well, aren't all theologians Scripture experts?
1: Ooh, maybe they should be. For me, to be a theologian simply means that I have a fascination with the mystery of God Mm -hmm. and the way in which God interacts with me and other human beings Mm
0: -hmm.
1: throughout history. Concretely, in the Christian understanding, God has taken a desire in us and wanted to reveal his will in various ways throughout history. One of the primary ways, the most primary way fundamentally, was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. as the Son of God dwelling among us as a human being. In response to the incarnation, there was a a life that was continuing that work that Jesus had inaugurated. Mm-hmm. It had begun already with the people of Israel and God's revelation to them through the prophet Moses and the other prophets. But was continued after the resurrection of Jesus in the church. And the church developed a series of scriptures that came to be known as the New Testament, which they joined to the Old Testament that they had received. And so my duty, my privilege is to study those texts as a way of getting into the mind of God, so to speak, and trying to understand what God is asking of me, of us, mm-hmm. as,
0: a, as a human race. Why do you want to get into the mind of God? Why, why is that a worthy enterprise. Some people might say that that's hubristic, prideful to want to get into the mind of God. Why why isn't it? Why is it why is it in fact appropriate for us to do that? It's appropriate for us to seek that because that's what
1: we were made for. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's hubristic or prideful to call myself the image of God because mm-hmm. I have the the evidence of Genesis 1:26 affirming that Every human being indeed is created in the image and likeness of God, and if that means that we are possessed of certain gifts and capabilities to know
0: and love God, we should exercise those to the utmost. Mm-hmm. With respect to your your um, your life as a monk, um, how does that fit with your your call to be a, a professor of theology? Um, did they come in tandem, those two? You know the vocation and the avocation, um if you make that distinction um, uh, was one before the other how How do those two fit together in your life? My
1: fascination
0: with scripture
1: certainly came before any interest in the monastic life dawned on my horizon. Mm-hmm. I, I remember sitting in adoration one night with my mom sitting next to me, and I had open i think it was holy Thursday that we were in church and I noted the passage in which Judas betrays Jesus and then in Matthew's gospel he goes and hangs himself. But I was intrigued because I knew that in Acts of the Apostles there's a slightly different explanation of Judas's death. And so mm-hmm. that really captured my attention and it created a a fascination with with the mysteries involved in Scripture. Mm-hmm. But when I eventually joined the the monastery, I was inundated in a happy way with Scripture because mm-hmm. It's the basis of our common prayer, the mm-hmm. Liturgy of the Hours, composed mostly of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. But my abbot eventually asked me to study scripture specifically because he wanted a successor to his own work mm-hmm. as a scripture scholar. And he wanted someone to be able to um, go in deep with the, the scriptures and to be able to present them in a, an attractive way and
0: in a way that would make people want to deepen their own faith mm-hmm. through the scriptures well thank you yeah one, one thing our our listeners may not know is is just how close the relationship is between the university of dallas and the cistercian monastery our lady of dallas across the street since its inception in fact there there have been cistercian priests who've been part of the faculty and helped out in a variety of other ways and and you yourself are an alumnus of the University of Dallas, as are a number of your, your brother monks mm-hmm. and, and the current abbot, um, abbot Peter for Holland. So it's it's a, a very important relationship, uh, certainly for the University of Dallas, and, and we're grateful to have you and, and your confreres with us. Thank you. Let's talk about charity. Um, we've been we've been focusing on um, the theological virtues as virtues. Charity is a term that we um, here quite a bit, right? We we've got Catholic charities um, in Dallas and other locations. We've got charitable deeds. We have acts of charity. What what is what is charity as a virtue?
1: As one of my students would say, it's the bomb dot com of all the virtues. All right, you know? that's
0: very Thomistic actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thomistic before the internet for sure. <laughs> charity. In the sense that we use it today, often refers to some external act of, of goodness or, or kindness, and that gets partially at, at its root, which would be some some pouring out, some giving of yourself to someone else in need. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, charity is the essence of God. If you want to go really deep into the the roots that Scripture presents of of charity, in the first letter of John, chapter four, God is defined as love, mm-hmm. as agape. This Greek word, mm-hmm. and fundamentally, God being agape means that God is a, a communion of, of love, a communion that is selfless and pours itself out in the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but which gets poured out to us human beings through revelation. Such as the scriptures and then the incarnation of Jesus Himself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's a giving fundamentally, mm-hmm. and charity as as a virtue is the Thomas might say the faculty or the capacity to to give of yourself mm-hmm. and to will something greater than your own will, will the good of of someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. In, in Article One of Question Twenty Three, the the um, sec, secunda of the Summa Theologiae. Um, Aquinas, um, refers to, to the love of friendship, right? And, and says that charity is God's friendship with man. And, um, so there's that relational dimension that Augustine also brings out and, and, uh, uh many other of our, our, um, um, theologians in the tradition. And yet, Every virtue is a, a settled disposition. Right? It's a it's a habitus. It, it becomes a part of our character, right? And so, it seems to me um, a, a theologically fascinating relationship. How on the one hand, right, God is charity. They use caritas est, as Pope Benedict the first encyclical articulates, right? Um, and and as as we know from uh, uh, Saint John, right. So God is God is love, God is charity. Um, charity becomes a part of us as a settled disposition, and by means of that we have a capacity to perform certain acts. We're, so we're transformed by something that's in fact part of us because of the way in which it's it's held in suspension, so to speak, through relationship with with a God who is himself charity. So um, when when we Think about how the term charity is used. We often monetize it. It seems to me, mm-hmm. right? What, why is that the case? And, and um, what, is, is this a, um, a, a, I guess, a, a damaging um, way of using the term? Do we? Does it make us forgetful of the essence of charity, or is it helpful that that um, we connect it to? Um, Generous giving or even you know um, ways of giving that aren't directly connected to people but organizations and so forth do you do you see a problem with that or is it is it a good thing? I think our use of the term has positive and negative
1: connotations. The positive would be that charity indeed is linked to the assistance given to someone else, some external sign of of donation. Mm-hmm. The limitation of that is that it reduces god's own essence in our relationship with god to an external handing over of funds Mm -hmm. so to speak or of time Mm -hmm. and i think that's a an unfortunate limitation of the term because it it minimizes or makes invisible that supernatural dimension of of the virtue Mm -hmm. and sadly i think the the ignorance of the supernatural is a fundamental characteristic of the age in which we live if we're reducing our most sacred terms to external actions which ultimately don't require necessarily a concerted effort Mm -hmm. it's easy to just take out a 10 and put it in the basket Mm -hmm. then we're missing out on the fullness of divine life that god wants to have with us Mm -hmm. and that should animate our actions moving out to other people
0: right right Um, it, it even in, in philosophical literature, um, charity is is it's become a secular virtue, and um, it's thought of in terms of benevolence, right? So having a mm-hmm. wanting what's good for people, but there's there's no supernatural dimension to the way the term is used in a lot of the contemporary literature that that I work on in in uh, virtue theory and and other aspects of moral philosophy, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think you're right. This lack of mindfulness of the divine source of charity is it. In one way, you might think of it as a, as a, a monumentally missed opportunity, right? I mean, the, the significance of what is missed there um, um, is, is monumental insofar as, as we're missing the, the ability to build upon that relationship with the divine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's a, a real loss indeed, since we've separated so concretely the, the sacred and the secular orders. Um, we're unmindful of that. I think that also gets to a point
1: that is highlighted in secular society as an advantage to the Buddhist tradition. Mm-hmm. Buddhism has this focus on on mindfulness and on the, the purging of all desires, and benevolence is one of the flashwords mm-hmm. of someone who is divesting him or herself of, of selfishness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But what's missing in the Buddhist tradition in that the Catholic Christian tradition is defined by is the relationship mm-hmm. with someone else that goes into and motivates those actions, the relationship with God ultimately. Mm-hmm. You're not simply purging yourself or, or doing good so that you can get brownie points or whatever. You're mm-hmm. you're striving to increase your love for
0: right. someone concrete, some, someone who is love itself. Right. And you, you can't really love things universally, right? You can't... Right. You don't love, love people in general. You love, you love individual persons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, um, are, are you familiar with Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical Deus Caritas Est? I, I should have asked you that before. Fortunately, I have read it <laughs> a <laughs> while ago. <laughs> okay. I, I did not
1: update my my knowledge with a reading recently but i know that the general outline of it so it, the,
0: the structure of it is on the one hand it, he, he's looking at love of god and love of neighbor so that's part one and part two and um he's got a, a hefty dose of scriptural reflection you know which is the, one of the marks of his his pontificate and um he brings up these these three terms you've already mentioned one agape um but he also talks about Eros and, and philia and and he reflects on on the way in which um, agape is is used in a, a significant way in the New Testament um, and and yet there's there's a dimension to eros and, and certainly philia as well but what do these terms mean here we are um, on a radio program banding around about these Greek terms so um, could you define those terms for us and and talk about them in relation to charity certainly. Like, It's time for
1: your Greek lesson of the day. In the philosophical tradition, pre-Christian tradition in in ancient Greece, these three terms became the focal point of a, a developed teaching and understanding of what animates us as human beings. And there's a certain hierarchy to them that carries over into the Christian tradition and that Pope Benedict emphasizes as well. Eros would be the more... Instinctive or um, sexual drive, attracting us to to someone else, mm-hmm. and you know, from the natural perspective, that that helps with the the reproduction of the species because mm-hmm. the world must be peopled and things like that. So it's the love that, that draws a man and woman together in marriage. Is it also the love
0: that that draws me to um, I don't know double quarter pounders with cheese? Is that do I have an erotic love for that there can be misguided loves and
1: <laughs> there could also be an inordinate desire for something that isn't necessarily good for you okay. but that would be a passion you might say fueled by by eros it's more of a an instinctive i want this now mm-hmm. in its you know corrupted form we would probably call it lust mm-hmm. today you can lust after a quarter pounder just as you can lust inappropriately after after but, a woman. but i guess what, I, what i'm getting at is it, it's not necessarily sexual right no no it it you could call it desire, mm-hmm. you could call it uh, an animal instinct on occasion mm-hmm. but it can be it can encourage you to pursue something noble as well, mm-hmm. whether it's academic or a, a project that that you have in mind, mm-hmm.
0: a goal down the road yeah Plato talks about mm-hmm. an, an erotic love for the truth mm-hmm. right that we recognize that we lack it and we're where we desire it so strongly yeah. as a, a kind of completion of mm-hmm. who we are. And sadly, as as with
1: charity, the term erotic has acquired in its usage today a, a pretty negative connotation. Mm-hmm. It's not simply the in the realm of pornography. It's something that has a valuable insight for us in terms of what our passions are and how we're mm-hmm. to guide ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that would be eros. The, the second one... Second word for love that the Greeks developed on the hierarchy would be philia. And that would be commonly understood as friendship, a love which which unites two people in a common activity or a common pursuit, shared interests. Mm-hmm. It allows them to, to generate bonds of, of brotherhood. In fact, the the name of the city, Philadelphia, is quite literally brotherly love. Mm-hmm. Even if Eagles fans aren't terribly friendly or or loving,
0: they are, they are today
1: because they're in the Super Bowl naturally. Yeah. Naturally, but I think a couple hundred of them were were arrested or kicked out yeah, of right. the yeah. yesterday. <laughs> Wonderful people. My dad came from Pittsburgh, so he has a, a certain antagonism I, towards, I see, towards I see. the no.
0: Philadelphians. I felt a bite.
1: That's philia. It's it's fundamentally a a virtue, a love which which unites people in the bonds of a common project or a common uh, pursuit. Brotherhood is, is a great way of, of understanding it. Friendship would be the ultimate, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And both of those terms, eros and philia, need to set the stage and are undergirded by the highest form of love in the Greek tradition, which is agape, mm-hmm. this this self-giving love, which is not interested in acquiring something or or getting something out of a pursuit mm-hmm. or a friend, but rather wills the good of someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is mm-hmm. for the writer of the first
0: letter of John. So agape is charity, just in the Greek uh, nomenclature, as opposed to the Latin.
1: Yes, exactly. So right. agape is translated as caritas in the mm-hmm. in the Latin scriptures. Right, mm-hmm. right,
0: great. So, um, you know, we... we each of the theological virtues have a, a proper role. It, you said that that charity is um, what is it the the boomcom the bomb the bomb yes. Sorry. technical yes. term. yeah, yeah. Um, so it, that places it in a, in a in a special relationship certainly with respect to, to faith and and hope and you know of of those three um, it's love that remains we we know from from scripture um, so we we receive charity as as a gift. And um yet we also can become um more loving, we can become more godlike, we can become more fulsome in our exercise of this gift that we receive. So how how do we become more? How do we foster something that's that received through no merit of our own?
1: You're grateful when you receive a gift from a friend. Mm-hmm. And I think in a similar way, if you are aware of the love that God has for you as an individual, your response should be to love in return, Mm -hmm. love in that agapic way Mm -hmm. in which you don't selfishly desire something for your own advantage, but you desire what God desires. Mm -hmm. And that would be your sanctification as an individual, but it would also be communion. Mm -hmm. And that's where charity, properly understood, spills out into your relationships with others, mm-hmm. those friendships among your your family members, your spouse, your your coworkers, whoever it might be, all those can be animated by that fundamental agape, which God is and has graciously extended to you.
0: So, so the the most important thing we can do to increase the virtue of charity in us, or or nurture it, is is to say thank you. Absolutely. Say thank
1: you to, to pray for it. Um, the Latin term caritas in itself comes from the Greek word caris, which is grace. Mm-hmm. That underscores the nature of charity as, as a gift. Mm-hmm. And it's something that should be given back to God by the way you live. Right. And it should make everyone else who perhaps has faulty understandings of, of love right. question what is motivating
0: this person who's so clearly impelled by this beautiful form of charity. Right. And in fact, our, our participation in, in um at, at Mass is a, a form of, of Thanksgiving, um, as, as the name suggests. Mm-hmm. So um, what do you have any reading suggestions that would be of, of um, help to our, our listeners to grow in their understanding of the virtue of charity and its relationship to Scripture?
1: As always, I think the Catechism is the place to start. There is a nice section on all of the theological virtues, but charity in particular gives you a nice balance of Scripture quotations within the tradition of the Church. Mm -hmm. The theologians have reflected on the Scripture passages Mm -hmm. and have developed them in a very beautiful way. And the Catechism gives a great synthesis of the church's teaching on charity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Reading Deus Caritas Est is a great idea. It's a bit philosophically profound at the start, but I think it's a it's a wonderful introduction to what the church has to say about love.
0: Some of us like philosophically profound things. Not well, Thomas,
1: you might be a little weird <laughs> in the, the general
0: general body public, but. I think it's for everyone fundamentally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being on the, on the show. Uh, I think we're out of time. Is that right? Yeah, I think the music means it's time. Uh, Father Thomas, <laughs> uh, Dr. Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been The Good News Show. For more productions like this, you can visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching University of Dallas. Thank you for joining us.